it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Maya Angelou. I love this poem by Maya Angelou. Women are phenomenal. And I love the fact that we have a whole month that celebrates us. For today's episode, I want to take a journey through all the amazing conversations I have had with some badass women. We rounded up some of our favorite insightful moments from some of the episodes. We couldn't fit every single badass woman we've ever had on the show, but I do want to give a shout out to them. So before we start, here they are. In order of air date, Andrea Molina, Yafi Spear, Mary Albertoli, Maureen Eisern, Nadia Sarmova, Stephanie Del Valle, Cristina Nava, Adaluz Pla, Tatiana Hazel, Alejandra Valdez, Daniela Schwartz, Brenda Banda, Jennifer Barron, Lorena Gonzalez, Cindy Fernandez Nixon, Catalina Lau, Chelsea Rendon, Paula Torres, Sara Abu Rashid, Dr. Maria Elena Botasi, Monique Guerrero, Yvette Herrera, Lisette Telumbre, Laura Velasquez, Tanish Hollins, Sabrina Van Tessel, Ariana Davis, Nikki Lopez, Olivia Peña, Emily Cuarenta, Sandra Garcia Cavazos, Thais Lopez Vogel, Brenda Hernandez, Dr. Ellen Ochoa, Vanessa Santos, Rebecca, and Bettina Mercado. Whew, <laughs> that was a lot. And I'm so lucky to know you all. So thank you to each and every one of you incredible, talented, badass, phenomenal women. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is La Nequis, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. This season, we want to focus on empowering you to follow your passion and be smart about chasing your dreams while speaking to Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. Thank you for all of your support. Our community keeps growing, so make sure to join Latinx on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Latinx. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinx.com. Stephanie Del Valle is a model, actress, singer, and philanthropist from Puerto Rico who studied law and communications and who also happens to be Miss World 2016. During her reign, she helped raise $40 million, making her the most successful Miss World in the history of the organization. Having a platform like yours and having the experiences you've lived, you traveled a lot. And, and you got to meet a lot of people from various walks of life. What, what would you say were the things that people needed the most? The things that I noticed people needed the most, especially when you would go visit an orphanage or go visit a hospital, any kinds of things or a school, it's that people need to be cared about, not necessarily cared for, but cared about. The, the platform that we use at, at Miss World is more of a teach a man how to fish, teach them 
what they need in order to be to live a sustainable life rather than just give them what they need. There's actually an example that I'd love to tell you. So uh, in the Philippines, uh, one of our trips there, there's an orphanage called the Tuloy Foundation and it was started by this uh, man named Father Rocky. And uh, it's an orphanage that the Miss World organization travels to and goes to and helps and supports quite often. The first time that I went, I was Miss World and I arrived alongside the CEO of Miss World. Her name is Julia Morley, but she's the one that created the whole Beauty with a Purpose. We arrived and of course they were receiving us like, oh my God, it's Miss World, it's so exciting. And then they also received uh, Mrs. Morley and she received flowers and a portrait. And all of a sudden there was this one girl who went up to her and just hugged her and started to cry. And I didn't really understand why. So Mrs. Morley came to me afterwards. She was like, oh, this girl, um, she just told me this. She said that there are people that come here and help us so often, but they only come one time. They always promise they'll come back, but they never do. You're the only person that always comes back. So for me, you're my family. And it's those kinds of uh, experiences that make you realize how important it is to care about other people and care about the, the things that they need and make a commitment to, to all, of, all of these people. And you know, in that example, when you work with children, you never think that they're going to remember the way that you impacted their life. But because sometimes it's just a, a simple little smile of someone wearing the Miss World's crown. But that is something that could drive them and change their life forever because kids do remember even though we don't even though we don't think so. That that's what I've noticed that people need the most is the commitment and to be cared about. Outer space, the expanse that exists beyond Earth and between celestial bodies. For us, it's this mysterious, boundless, quiet place. Most of our understanding of space probably comes from movies, TV shows, and some of what we study in school. But for about 553 people on Earth, space represents their laboratory, workspace, and temporary living space. Today, I have the chance to speak to one of those people, Dr. Elena Ochoa, the first Hispanic woman to go to space and the first Hispanic director and second female director of the Johnson Space Center. On this episode, Dr. Ochoa and I will talk about why it's important to follow your passion, but also pay attention to what you're good at, not giving up easily and learning to reframe your approach after rejection, the importance of finding your team of cheerleaders, and dreaming big, but also preparing to work hard. What would be your advice to young professionals? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I would say is um, set high goals for yourself. You know, um, you may not always meet them. You know, I, as, as I was talking earlier, I never really expected to be selected as an astronaut. But the things that I did that I thought would put me in a better position, you know, also got me a job that I really enjoyed doing research at a NASA research center. Um, I got a private pilot's license, which allowed me to, you know, start flying places. And those are all things that, you know, sort of enriched my life and got me to a position that I wouldn't otherwise have been in. Um, and so even if I hadn't been selected, it, they, they were good things to do, good choices to make. And, and so don't be afraid to set that high goal and think about the steps that you can take to get there. And, 
you know, you will achieve things that you otherwise wouldn't have without um, having done that. And then, as I said, you know, make sure you find those people who are supporters of you, who encourage you. Um, again, you'll, you'll run into some people that um, may be on the opposite end of the scale who, are, who um, you know, just either don't think you can achieve something or don't see you in a particular role. Um, but look for those people who, who know you, who know what you can bring. Uh, and, um, and, and let those people be kind of your sounding boards and your, your cheering section. I'm going to give you a piece of advice that I wish I had known better in my 20s. You know that feeling of dread? The feeling of dread that you get right before you need to go to work. The night before you literally have a sinking feeling in your stomach and you're like, I would rather be doing anything else than having to go to that job. And by anything, I mean, I would even rather get hit by a bus so that I can be sick and take off. Of, I mean, literally, you would rather be hurt than for you to have to go to that job. Listen to that inner voice, listen to that dread and that feeling and use that as your motivator to do something better for yourself, to find that ideal place for you, whether you have to create it for yourself or whether that's at another employer. But don't allow your precious 20s to be wasted feeling that dread before heading to office and creating magic for somebody else. That was Vanessa Santos on TikTok which is how I first learned about her. Vanessa is an award-winning brand strategist, business and product executive with success in driving innovation forward. She currently holds a leadership role at MasterCard. She's a catalyst and thought leader for gender equality, brand amplification, product development, culture shift, and small business growth. I love that I stumbled upon Vanessa on TikTok because I'm in awe about how much she has accomplished but more than anything, that she created these series of TikToks that give advice to people in their 20s. I was immediately a fan. Vanessa is also co-founder of Bodega Records, where she partners alongside independent artists to enhance their brand, both creatively and on the business side. Additionally, Vanessa dedicates her time to advising women-founded startups and consulting female entrepreneurs at the pre-seed stage with the goal to empower women of color to flourish in their entrepreneurial ventures. I think you're going to immediately be able to tell that Vanessa is passionate about everything she talks about. And on this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with her about all the things you should hear if you're in your 20s or not. If you're feeling a bit lost, discouraged, unsure of what your next step should be, or like you're behind on that timeline you had created in your own mind, this is a conversation you'll definitely want to hear. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone gets no's. Everyone goes to the bathroom. I mean, we're human, right? The things that happen to you are not just exclusive to you. And so sometimes we get in a sense of, oh, it's just happening to me. Why me? No. Instead, ask yourself, what is the universe trying to show me? What is the universe trying to educate me with? Why, you know, the universe put this in my path for a reason. It's not why me, it's what is this trying to teach me? So um, don't be so hard on yourself. I can see it. I can see that you're doing it to yourself, but I also see that through your mentorship of all these students, it's being, it's rewarding you in a way that you're, you're realizing, you know, there's all these other avenues in which I can lend my talents to because mentoring is also a talent. It's a skill. What would you say to someone that thinks they're too old 
to pivot or change careers or start over? I love, I love this question, by the way. Um, age is just a number. The people who feel like they can do something because of the age, I say to them, your age is experience. Your age is how you look at the world. Your age has nothing to do with the kind of person that you are. You choose to be someone who wants to try something new and be adventurous and pivot and change. You, you can do whatever it is that you want. Your age is not a, a representation of you because I know a lot of people who are in their 40s and 50s that have started brand new careers, brand new lives that perhaps maybe now they're finally becoming famous or finally becoming wealthy. And no one is saying to them, oh my God, you did this, you did that at 44. They're just saying, wow, look at you, you finally sold your business for $15 million. Age had nothing to do with that. The person had something to do with that, their passion, their dedication, their motivations, um, their perseverance. Age is what you make of it. If, if I chose to be like, you know what? When I turned 30, I remember right before turning 30, I was like, oh, 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 I need to do this. I need to... I turned 30 and I'm like, I don't feel different. Was something supposed to happen? Like, because I had it in my mind that when I turned 30, I was old. Life was going to come down on me. I was going to start getting wrinkles. Like real life was going to, I mean, it, I had all these self-imposed notions of what was going to happen to me, you know, overnight when I turned 30. And then I woke up and I was, all right, no, no one cares. No, no one cares. No one cares as much as you think that people care. So advice number one, stop giving a shit. I don't know if I can curse here, but I curse a lot. <laughs> stop caring what people think about your age because it, it's irrelevant. No, no one cares as much as you think they care. No one's thinking about, oh, so-and-so is, so, is this age. That's you. That's, that's in your own mind. Let's quit that. Number two, that I remember the next day when I turned 30, there was something in me that looked at the age and thought, I really wish that I could do more writing. I really wish. And I was like, why is that a wish? I could do that, right? Nobody said to me, oh no, Vane, you can't write because you're 30. If, if anyone ever says that to you, that person is small-minded and you need to let go of the small-minded shit and the small-minded behavior. You leave that thought for small-minded people. You as someone that's trying to evolve and elevate doesn't concern yourself with that. So my second piece of advice is just try it. If you decided that at age 50, you want to be a singer, America's got talents there. And guess who always wins? It's always the people above the age of 40. Why? Because people resonate with that. People re respect somebody who's putting themselves out there because again, age is just a number. Number three, uh, that doesn't, your age is not an expiration date because, you know, this might sound a bit morbid, but we don't know when our expiration date is. Not a single person on this earth know when their last day is going to be. So if you're so focused and spending all this time about, oh, but my age and my age, you're spending valuable time thinking about your age instead of doing something. Because what if your last day was tomorrow and you have no clue and you're sitting here at home worried about, oh, I'm too old to change careers. Mija, the universe could be like, tick, tick. You know, nobody knows when their time is up. Age has nothing to do with it. People die at five years old. People die at 50 years old. Like it doesn't matter. People die. And that's the reality of it. So advice number three is just, just do it. Just try it. Because the worst that can happen is that you succeed. The worst that can happen is that you fail and then you have some lessons and then you have a great story to tell. So those are my three pieces of advice for people who feel like once they've hit a certain age or certain ages and they can't do what they want, you could do whatever if you want. 
On this episode of Latin Ickies, I speak with Ariana Davis, digital director for O, the Oprah magazine, and author of What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly. In her book, Ariana invites us to explore Frida's legacy through today's lens. Yes, because as crazy as everything is right now, there's always the Frida way to Viva la Vida. What do you think Frida would think of how the world is today? Yeah, it's something I've definitely thought a lot about. And it's something, especially with, you know, the pandemic and the fact that most of us are spending a lot more time at home than usual. People, you know, especially when this all first started and everyone was quarantining at home. I thought a lot about Frida as someone who spent so much time literally just stuck at home, but also like stuck in her bed for weeks or months at a time. And that was when she created some of her most well-known artwork that we know today. So I think sometimes I would think about, again, answering the question of what would Frida do in this pandemic? I would think that she would probably have turned that pain and boredom and anxiety and all of those feelings that most of us have been feeling through the coronavirus pandemic and turned it into art. Whether that, I don't think that necessarily means art in, you know, on a canvas, but I think art in whatever that means for you, whether it's writing a book or whether it's just putting your all into a big work project or whether it's paying attention to the small details of your outfit every day or, you know, whatever it is, I think that she would, she would try to channel all those feelings into creativity of some sort. So I think when I think about the pandemic in these times, I think that that's how she would respond. And when it comes to just generally the world today, I mean, obviously with the news headlines around the president and what's happening in politics, I definitely think Frida would be very outspoken and would have a lot of thoughts and feelings about what's happening right now when it comes to when it comes to politics. But I 100% think that she would be protesting, that she would be out here encouraging people to vote, that she would be reminding all of us of our role in democracy. And no matter what her political views would be at this time, I think that she would definitely be involved and be vocal and be inspiring others to do the same. So, you know, Frida, when there is a a few weeks before she died, she had just gotten over um, pneumonia, I think it was, and she wasn't supposed to go out, but she did. She went out to go protest, and she was out in the streets holding up, you know, holding up a side a sign alongside Diego, and she was definitely never someone who was quiet about her ideals or her politics, and so I think that she would be very vocal during this time, um, and also encouraging all of us to, to do the same. Let me tell you about my mom, mi mamá. My mother is Mexican, born and raised, and her primary language is Spanish. I speak to her in Spanish, she speaks to me in Spanish. Even though she understands English and can communicate when she needs to, my mother's language is also my first language, Spanish. Como una persona que tiene cáncer y está viviendo por esta pandemia, ¿cuál sería tu mensaje para otras personas que también tienen otras enfermedades similares como las tuyas de alto riesgo durante esta pandemia? Primeramente hay que asumir nuestra nueva realidad. Nuestra nueva realidad es con una pandemia más tu enfermedad personal. Hay que cambiar muchos este modo, o sea, tu modo de vida tienen que cambiar muchas acciones. Por ejemplo, si no salías a hacer ejercicio, procura salir a hacer ejercicio. Tu alimentación tiene que ser buena. Busca una, una actividad que disfrutes para que la uses como terapia. Por ejemplo, en mi caso fue cocina. Si trabajas, 
toma todos, todas las medidas de precaución. No lo tomes a la ligera, porque la verdad yo he conocido muchos casos que les da COVID y mueren. Entonces, no lo tomen a la ligera. No, no quiere decir que se encajonen en su casa, sino más bien busquen actividades, les digo, como el caminar, el disfrutar juegos de mesa con su familia. Eh, busquen pasar el tiempo con su mente ocupada en esta nueva realidad, pero sean felices. Catalina Lauf is a 27-year-old Latina who ran for Congress in the 2020 Republican primary for Illinois' 14th Congressional District. She ran as an anti-establishment candidate and was branded as a Republican version of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC, as she's usually called. When someone runs as anti-establishment, their views are seen as opposing the conventional, social, political, and economic principles of society. Other examples of anti-establishment candidates are President Trump and AOC. On this episode of Latinx, I speak with Catalina about her journey to running for Congress, being a Latina, assumptions about the Republican Party, the need for newer and younger voices in U.S. politics, and identity. What advice do you have for young Latinas who want to go into politics? Republican, Democrat, whatever you, know, you feel like you align yourself with, I would, number one, read as much as you can about history, our founding documents, the Federalist Papers, our Constitution, just to get an idea of what you know, our country was founded upon in those ideas. Uh, and then I would say just continue to read on different, on both sides, and then just see where you fit from a value perspective and your own beliefs. And then, you know, you don't have to agree with everything that one political party says, but a lot of it just should be uh, molded by your own experiences and just what you think you align yourself with based on your amazing, you know, intellectual capabilities, right? And then from there, I would say, join a campaign. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I was so lucky to have Democrat support as well. And especially a lot of these moderate Democrats that look at somebody like my opponent who would have been my opponent in the Democrat um, in the general, general election who have just gone so far left and they just want kind of normal, they believe in fiscal conservatism. Find a candidate or a politician, somebody that you, who you really like, that you agree with, and you like their values, you like the way that they speak, you know, things like that. And then either campaign for them, help them out, uh, just get involved in local politics as well. Just, just get out there. You know, the only way to understand and to, to really immerse yourself is if you dive in and, and see what the, the political life is all about. I would also say a big thing for me too was I used to write, you know, some political commentary in college and was very active with my college Republicans. So ha start a blog, you know, have your opinions out there and you might find that a lot of people actually agree with what you're saying and, and they could be from all different sides of the aisle. Uh, just get involved as much as you can and, and read. On this episode of Latinx, I speak with Dr. Maria Elena Botassi a Honduran-trained scientist in tropical medicine and microbiology and an advocate for global health. 
We talk about being a Latina in STEM, the pandemic, and her endeavor to make vaccines accessible for all, especially underserved populations. Puede ser algo como fun. Sure. And hi! <laughs> no. She also invited me, Fernanda, one of the interns. I'm a pre-med student at Baylor University from Honduras and a fan of Dr. Botasi's work. Again, Honduras. 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 I know that uh, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, I know that uh, maybe some uh, of us, you know, the old generations, if I may call it, don't necessarily, again, have uh, the flexibility or the same thinking or the same, like I said, you know, um, of, of how you're processing the information is very different. But I think we need to return again to this um, move away from the individualism to understand that even us as individuals, we, we are living in, in a, a, a big and large community, right? We are a global world. So every action that we take individually does have an impact overall, you know, with the rest of our community. So that this, even though we may think that, oh, you know what, you know, it doesn't really matter if I don't go vote because what's one vote, right? So if, if all of us think the same way, nobody goes out to vote, right? Or the same, it's like, oh, what does it matter if I don't wear a mask? You know, I'm, I'm healthy, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna get infected, I'm not gonna die, you know? And then, the, the, you know, and if everybody thinks the same way, that's why we have the situation that we have now. So again, it's, yes, I understand perfectly this concept that we all um, have to, at some level, retain our individual rights or, you know, the fact, of course, we all are individual. We all have our own right of thinking the way that we do, but we do not live in an isolated island where we just do what we want and there's no repercussions. We live, you know, in a global world that every decision we individually make most likely have an impact on a much larger decision. So for today's episode, I reached out to my lovely friend, Brenda Hernandez, creator, producer, and host of Ellas the Podcast. We talk about the pivotal moments that lead us to today. But we also talk about other stuff like being a Latina, relationships, podcasting, and more. I was also a guest on Ellas the Podcast, so you should definitely check it out. Brenda and I talk about everything from career troubles to staying motivated, mentorships, relationships, and looking back. You can find a link to her episode on the description of this episode. So what would you say have been one of the doesn't have to be limited to one, some of the most valuable insights you've learned from having all of these conversations with these women. <laughs> okay, so number one lesson, it's funny that you say, because in the first anniversary of AES, that was the first lesson that I shared with my listeners. Do not stay in a mediocre relationship. A lot of the guests that I had, once they embraced themselves and knew what they deserved and needed in their life, that was the first thing that they kind of like pushed aside, like finding a supportive partner. And I had come out of a relationship. He's a great guy. He is. <laughs> oh, no. he is. We're he not going to judge whoever this is. <laughs> he is. But I 
didn't find as again, I didn't find myself happy. I didn't find myself fulfilled in that relationship. You know, I, did I see myself with that person for the rest of my life? No. And I realized I don't have to be in a mediocre relationship and until, and it's okay being alone and finding someone that will be supportive and be at the same level as me and have that same passion for life and their career and and it's okay that I'm waiting I'm I'm loving right now being single and learning more about myself and enjoying the time that I have right now and then the second lesson was I can and it goes back to our conversation that we've had I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life and and now I have the confidence in in being better at it and taking that knowledge and refining my skills. And when I'm prepared to take that big step and that big leap, right? And those have been those two biggest lessons that AES and my guests have given me. And also not be afraid to share those goals and passions with other people because before I was very scared again, of not sharing what I wanted in my life. And now I'm very confident in, in sharing my goals with other people. And because that has ultimately opened more doors for me in my life. And it's okay because when, once a p- person recognizes that passion and that joy that you have for something, they're going to also support you and guide you. And at the end of the day, that's what AS is, you know, a support and place where they motivate you. And I've found that through AS again. On this episode of Latin Equis, I speak with Nikki Lopez, creator and co-executive producer of Santiago of the Seas, Nickelodeon's brand new animated series, which premiered on October 9th. The show is infused with Spanish language and Latino Caribbean culture, and the 20-episode series follows Santiago Montes, a brave and kind-hearted pirate, as he embarks on daring rescues, searches for treasure, and keeps the high seas safe in a fantastical Caribbean world. Nikki and I talk about Santiago of the Seas, her journey to animation and creation, children's education, and the importance of diverse representation in the media. How would you say making this show has changed you as a person? Like, obviously it's been years, but, and you're gonna change regardless of if there's a show or not, but, if you could pinpoint something that creating Santiago of the Seas did for you personally that either helped you grow or made you think about life differently? Um, I would have to say that it allowed me to trust my gut a little bit better. Earlier on in the process, I, you know, being a first-time creator, I was very hesitant. I I was like, well, you know, this is my first time doing this. So maybe what other people is the right thing. What do I know? But then as time progressed, I found out that there were certain things that if I would have trust my gut initially, I probably would have skipped through some of the trials and tribulations. So I, I, I yeah, my confidence has definitely improved significantly through through this journey I feel a little bit more at ease with with myself knowing of course that there's still this is this is a never-ending journey of of continuing to grow um for the better um 
Yeah. <laughs> Would you say then that was that's like a mate? Because uh, my next question, that's one of the last um, that I'll be asking you, was going to be what what would be your recommendation for anyone who's starting out their career in production or um, animation, any of, you know, something related to your field, would you say trusting your gut would be oh, absolutely. something you'd recommend? Yes, absolutely. But also if, if you are new to this industry, I would say be, be very open to, to learning, to learning and, and listening as you start um, lean into, into the knowledge and the advice of, those that have been there uh, for a while. And also, you know, as you progress, take chances and, and you know, contribute. <laughs> you, if, if you are included in a production, something, something was, was acknowledged in you that you could offer to that team. So take a chance. Sarah Abu Rashed is a Palestinian-American poet, speaker, and storyteller. She describes herself as Palestinian by blood, Syrian by memory, American by citizenship, Eastern in upbringing, and Western in residence. Sarah refers to this medley of identities as constantly mapping home. Because of this constant mapping, Sarah began performing a one-woman show called A Map of Myself, My Odyssey to America which discusses identity, belonging, immigration, and finding home. She has been called an inspiration, and her work has led her to keynote at numerous conferences, give a TEDx talk, be nominated for a Pushcart Prize, and perform in the Tenement Museum of New York City. For this episode on Latinx, I asked Paula, one of the awesome interns of Latinx, to lead this interview with Sarah, who is her TA at Denison University. With Sarah, we talk about the Arab culture and its similarities to the Latinx culture, misconceptions, as well as the feeling of having many identities that this increasingly diverse generation has. Being this generation where we, where we know that there's power in unity and that there, we are diverse and we, we should speak up. And when we speak up, things happen we start asking the right questions and then this has led to, okay, wow, I didn't even know that the Arab and the Latino culture had so many things in common because I hadn't asked before and my parents hadn't asked before, right? So I think that in a large way, it comes from that. I think also the media plays a giant role in, in how we view ourselves and how we view others. And the world has evolved so much in the last few years that we now have access to things our parents would have never even dreamt of, you know? So it's, it's also about shifting the conversation and the sentiments around difference. I see young people now just so excited about difference. You know, they listen to music from different cultures, music they don't even understand, or they eat um, different cuisine. But we, we were a lot more sheltered, all of us, um, years, years ago. And that, that was just ingrained in, in our parents and our grandparents. Like you said, um, so many people, you know, they believe their culture is the best and everyone else is just different. So what, what does that even mean? And, and how do we unpack that? You know? I often just blame it all on public education. Um, <laughs> really, because 
all we've, I don't That's think I hours have... of unpacking to do when we get into the <laughs> public I mean, system of our. Nation. No, but I mean, it's true. I don't think I ever learned anything about Northern Africa or the Middle East in, at my school, like throughout the 12 or something years that I was there. I just, I don't think there was ever that conversation. I just, I mean, this happens everywhere, but here we're just kind of taught the U.S., we're superior, like superpower, like all this stuff. And then everything else is just kind of brushed aside and there's never any, there's just a bunch of lack of knowledge and people then obviously just have these assumptions like of certain cultures because they don't ever learn about it. And I mean, I was explaining to Andrea the other day that like, ojalá comes from Arabic. Latino culture, you say that so often. I think I say it I don't know, I say that way too many times throughout the day and our cultures are so similar to one another and we still tend to kind of put them in two separate bubbles that just can never intermingle, I guess. We're obviously going to be interconnected, all cultures somehow in some way. I think you're both right in that if you look back at your textbooks from history classes that you took in elementary, think of how cartoony they make other cultures look like the stereotype and that's the level of what they show if if they show you the history of other cultures that's kind of the level that they get you to in texas where i went to high school the title of the class was texas history that's it and and then i had the opportunity to study in europe one year and what do they teach you in europe european history we don't know what happened in the united states or anywhere else like i don't know what they do in other places in the world but it goes back to the boxes. It's so easy to put every culture in a very cartoony box. The media, what do they do? Latinos, they're all portrayed as narcotraficantes and maids and the janitor. And all Arab people are terrorists. All uh, Russians are also terrorists, actually, and the villains in the story. And then <laughs> it's the same, you know, and like, obviously that is evolving. It's, I think it is getting better. And I think that they've started portraying a medley of things and everyone can be anything and um, which a lot of people are bothered by, but I think it's starting to reflect the, the, the actual world we live in back at us, which people should be more excited about. You're both right. It can be a number of things. Right now we had the privilege and as well as, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing yet about how connected we are to our phones and how we always know what's happening. I think that's kind of terrifying, but also I think amazing about technology. I would say keep asking questions, keep talking. Uh, I know our parents say don't talk to strangers, do talk to strangers, <laughs> uh, get, get to know them, make friendships, you know, be curious, learn, and speak up. On this episode of Latinx, I speak with Bettina Mercado from Bettina Cosmetics about her journey to becoming president of her family's company, her mark on the beauty industry, the future of cosmetics and skincare, and what the growing success of Bettina Cosmetics represents for Latinx. So we need to start change, shifting that, that mentality of, I want to be an employee at such and such uh, company and maybe think about the fact that you have the talent to do it yourself. You know, here in Puerto Rico, the best um, plant managers and operation managers of 
all the big players, global players that are manufacturing in Puerto Rico are Puerto Rican, but meanwhile, they don't do something to do their own, to have their own business and develop it when they're the ones administering something that is not theirs. So, and I know that, that being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. You know, you need to have the, the talent for that and also the stre enough strength and, and enough, um, I don't care to be able to just throw yourself out there and, and try and try and try until you finally get the, 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 the thing that launches you, you know, into space. What would be your number one advice for young entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting their own company? I would say that, that now it's the time. During a crisis, it's the best time for you to organize your thoughts. If you're home, it's the best time to do your platform into what you're going to do once the, the crisis is over or as a next step into what you want to do with your life. Some people get blocked by the fact that they lost their job or that they're afraid of, of getting sick. And I think that's a really tough um, spot to be at if you want to do something new. So now is the time to get help. There's a lot of people wanting to reach out and give you money to do things. So, so that doesn't happen all the time. It's a good time to reach out, get that, that money, get that financial help and start your business now. Eventually, when all of this is over, you're going to be ready. Otherwise, by the time everything is over, you have nothing and you have to start from zero and everybody will run over you. So I always say, you know, it's, it's a really good time to start something when you're in the middle of a crisis. It's just the best time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. Remember to support us by rating this podcast on Apple Podcasts. As you know, this will help us continue to work on this show and bring on guests who inspire you and motivate you. This is Latin Nikki's. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. Thank you for listening.